Well, good morning. It is so good to be back here with all of you, and uh, it's great to see so many familiar faces and people that I don't know as I was walking around this morning, and uh, this is a special place. We miss you all. And uh, yesterday we were back for a Navy basketball game. Uh, They lost, but uh, we were there, and it was a a bittersweet time to see some of the, the basketball players, midshipmen, that we worked with over the last seven years. Uh, but God has given us a new ministry at WVU, and so we're grateful for that opportunity. Uh, I think Desmond asked me this week, oh, you're coming back. Is this your off-season? Well, there really is no off-season in college sports anymore, and so although we're not playing any football games right now, there's a lot of a lot of things going on, winter workouts, and so uh, I'm meeting with a lot of players right now. There is kind of some downtime and so some discipleship meetings. Those are th- some things you could pray about just as I meet with young men and, and uh, give them the gospel, pour into those who do know Christ. Uh, so Monday night is our FCA huddle meeting, 7.30 on Monday nights, if you can think to pray for us and all of our athletes that gather for that. And then I teach a, a Wednesday morning uh, football coaches Bible study and got great attendance for that. And we're, we're looking through Hebrews chapter 11, just the hall of faith and uh, those great men who did great things for God. And, and then again, just the many players that I'm currently meeting with for discipleship. So thank you for your prayers and uh, thank you for the support of this church. We're able to, to go there and do gospel ministry because of the support of churches like you and others. So thank you very much. If you would take your Bibles and turn to the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter six, and we're going to be in verses 45 through 56. Mark chapter six, Verses 45 to 56, we're going to look today at uh, Jesus' power over the sea. A familiar passage of scripture, but one that uh, is exciting and I'm looking forward to preaching this morning. So if you would join me as I read verses 45 through 56. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. Well, let me begin our time this morning with a joke, a joke that I came up with several years ago. I don't know why that's funny. I'm not there yet. But um, when Jesus was on the earth, 
he would preach and teach and go from village to village, from house to house. And as he would conclude his teaching, he would leave the house where he was teaching. But when he left, he would always leave the front door open. Remember, this is a joke, okay? Everywhere he went, and this really got to Peter, and the foot and mouth disciple could remain silent no more. So he finally spoke up and said, hey, Jesus, were you born in a barn? To which Jesus replied, as a matter of fact, I was. Now, please don't come up to me afterwards and say, historical evidence shows us that Jesus was born in a cave. It's just a joke. And uh, I was about 23 when I came up with that, all right? But I tell you that joke for a reason, because as I was going over this and preparing this message on Thursday and I thought about how to introduce this text and this message, I thought about this. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark, um, earlier in this account, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. And again, that's 5,000 men. So we're talking about 20 to 25,000 people in all. And we know that Jesus drew crowds wherever he went. And the people who were able to have that incredible privilege to see and hear the Messiah, they marveled at his miracles. They were amazed by his preaching and they were astonished at his authoritative teaching. But we also know there were skeptics everywhere he went. Pharisees and scribes who did not believe in him, and the Jewish leaders and authorities who did not like him. In fact, they hated him. And I wonder if anyone ever said about Jesus, this man thinks he walks on water. Where did that phrase originate? I don't really know. Well, Jesus could walk on water, and that is the miracle that we will observe together as we look here in the Gospel of Mark. And as I said earlier, like the feeding of the 5,000, this is a story that is very familiar to us, uh, one that we have heard perhaps since we were very young, since the earliest time we remember attending church. I can remember hearing this story, um, and some of you older people will appreciate this, with flannel graph, right, where Jesus is walking on the water, and uh, that was a great illustration. And so knowing that, knowing that this is familiar to us, we need the Spirit of God to make this fresh to us once again today. John the Apostle, the author of the fourth gospel, the disciple that Jesus loved, the only disciple that we see present at the crucifixion, ended his gospel account with these words in John 21, verse 25, where he says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. That, that is called sanctified exaggeration, right? We tell our kids not to lie, not to exaggerate. But here, John is exaggerating a bit to let his readers know that the gospel that he has penned is not a complete history of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were many other things that Jesus did, things that were not recorded in his one gospel. But many of those things that Jesus did, many of those things that he taught were written down, they were recorded, and those things are for us and for our children and for our children's children. So today I would like to show you seven things here that Jesus did to display his power and his glory. Seven things that Jesus did here to display his power 
and his glory. Number one, we see that he commanded the crowds to go away. He commanded the crowds to go away. Verse 45, we see these words. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. So Jesus here addresses two types of people, two groups of people. First of all, the disciples. It says here that immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. He made them go away. This is a a very strong Greek verb, and it means to urge, to compel, and to force. And here we see once again, as we see many times in the Gospels, Jesus wanted to be alone. Jesus had tried to be alone after hearing that John the Baptist had been murdered. If you go back to verses 30 to 33, we read there that the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And so then we see the second group here that Jesus addresses is the crowd. Mark tells us that he sent the crowd away. The verb here means to release or to set free. Jesus had shown them compassion. He had healed their sick. He had fed them to the point of satisfaction where they could eat no more. But now it was time for him to be alone. Jesus is about to display his power and his glory to his disciples. But before he did so, he wanted to be by himself. John, in his gospel, gives us another reason why he wanted to get away from them. We read in John 6, verse 15, So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. This was not the time for Jesus to become king. He did not want to become the king at this time. He did not want to be placed on a throne. He wanted to be alone for a very specific reason. And that leads us to the second thing that Jesus did to display his power and his glory. He called on the Lord in prayer. He called on the Lord in prayer. Verse 46, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Jesus here compelled the disciples to leave and to go to the other side of Bethsaida. Jesus released the crowds to their homes, all for a purpose, again, so that he could be alone, so that he could spend time with his Father in prayer. We know that Jesus was God. This is a concept and a doctrine that is clearly presented in all four of the Gospels. In John chapter 1, the book we've been studying on Monday nights at FCA at West Virginia, In verse one of chapter one, we read, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was God, no doubt. 
but he was also a man. And he was a man who had human emotions, a man who got hungry after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, a man who got thirsty and asked the Samaritan woman for a drink, a man who got sleepy and took a nap on a fishing boat during a storm, and a man who felt the need to be alone with the Father in prayer. This is a characteristic we see over and over in the life of Christ, Jesus getting alone with the Father to pray, leaving his disciples, getting up early in the morning to pray, to to find strength and comfort from God, his Father. And so friends, what a great reminder, if, if Jesus took time to be alone in prayer, if Jesus felt the need to get away and to pray, how much more should we, none of us being divine, get alone with the Father in prayer. Many of you know this, but Susanna Wesley was the mother of 19 children, 19. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley and 17 others, but she still found time to pray on a daily basis. This godly woman seldom gave the Lord less than an hour a day to devote to prayer. We may object We look at this text and we go, hey, I don't have a mountain like Jesus did to climb and get away from the busyness of the day. But we see that Susanna Wesley had no mountain to climb, no specific place of prayer. So at her chosen time of this spiritual exercise, she would take her apron, you know this, and pull it over her face. And her children were instructed to never disturb her when she was praying in her apron. Jesus had to make sacrifices in order to be alone in prayer. And so he got up early. He stayed up late. He left the company of others, and he even dismissed the crowds. But he still made time for the Father to be in prayer. And so must you and I. So Jesus, we see here in this passage, he commanded the crowds to go away. He called on the Lord in prayer. Number three, we saw, we see that he came to his disciples. Look at verses 47 and 48 again. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass by them. The disciples had obeyed Jesus. They got into the boat. They were heading for the other side, but the wind and the waves had prevented them from reaching their destination. Mark tells us that they were in the middle of the sea. Matthew tells us that the boat was already a long distance from the land. Matthew, as you know, was one of the 12 disciples, and he would have remembered that night as he wrote this account of that incredible event. He describes in his gospel the boat as being battered by the waves, and the verb there means to torment. The sea was angry that night. And that is, this is why, this is what he says about the wind. He says the wind was contrary. This is an adjective meaning that it was opposite, that it was against or hostile. John describes the sea as being stirred up. And Mark tells us here that Jesus saw that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And so, friends, the stage was set. 
The stage was set for Jesus to display his power and his glory. And you may ask the question, why did Jesus feel the need or the urgency to display his glory to them? They had just seen him do the miraculous, the unexplainable, taking two fish and five loaves and giving thanks and breaking them and feeding 20 to 25,000 people. Did they really need to see another manifestation of his power and his glory? Well, the answer is yes, they did. Verse 52, Mark tells us that they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Even after walking on the water, the disciples will still display unbelief in their hearts. Go over to Mark chapter 8, should be close by, and I want you to see verses 1 to 3 here. So this is after Jesus has walked on the water. In verse 1 we read, In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. The disciples had seven loaves and a few small fish, more food than before for less people. Yet the disciples say to him in verse four, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? So yes, there is a need for Jesus to display his power and his glory yet again. And he would have to do this again and again to show them that he was more than just their master and their teacher and their friend, but he was also their Messiah. He was their God, the Son of God. And so again in verse 48, when they saw, or excuse me, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass by them. John tells us in his gospels that by now they have rowed for three or four miles. Matthew, Mark, and John, when they write about this event, they write about it with such ease that the wind was howling the waves were crashing and Jesus was walking on the water as if it were no big deal. And then Mark tells us that he intended to pass by them. I love that. Literally, it, it means he desired to come alongside of them. Well, not only was Jesus walking on the water, not only was he desiring to come alongside of them, but this took place during the fourth watch of the night. So this is between 3 and 6 a.m. And in case you didn't know, it wasn't normal to see someone walking on the water, okay? In fact, the disciples had never seen someone walk on the water. They, there may have been times when they thought or said to themselves, man, Peter thinks he walks on water, right? But they had never witnessed anyone doing this. I want you to look at their reaction. They were not about to let him pass by without a reaction. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew being there tells us, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, 
it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Well, friends, if their pants were not soaked from the waves, they were wet now. They were frightened. They were terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. They were afraid before. When the wind was stirring the water, when the waves were crashing against the sides of the boats, when they were straining, when they were paddling, desperately trying to get to the other side. But those fears increased when they saw Jesus walking on the water. This is very similar to what happened when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves in Mark chapter 4 and their fear increased. I love to think, to think about that. They, they were saying, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? They really believed they were about to die. And then Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and it says they were utterly terrified. Their heart rate actually went up. What's happening here? But I want you to look at what Jesus did. And here we see the fourth thing that Jesus did to display his power and glory. He comforted those that he loved. He comforted those that he loved. And this is found in verses 49 and 50. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus gave them the very thing they needed in that moment. He gave them peace in the midst of great peril. He gave them comfort in the time of great chaos. He comforted them just by speaking to them. And they were assured that this was not a ghost. They were acquainted with his voice. This was the voice of their master, of their Lord. This was the voice of Jesus. This was that familiar voice of the great shepherd. How many times has Christ done this for us? Given us comfort in times of great stress and anxiety and fear. Times when we were afraid, perhaps even terrified, burdened with the cares and the worries of this world. And Jesus spoke to us, not in an audible voice, but through his written word and brought us comfort and relieved our anxieties and calmed the storms in our lives and comforting us with the words of life and peace. Jesus would do this here for the 12 corporately, but would have to do so again for one individually, and that was Simon Peter. I thought about something on Thursday as I was working through this passage, preparing for this sermon. Mark, the, the writer of this gospel, was a friend of the Apostle Peter. And church history and tradition tells us that Peter was a source for Mark's writing of this gospel. And as Mark did his research and was led by the Spirit of God to write his account of the life and ministry of Jesus, he would have spoken to Peter and listened to his eyewitness account of these events. I wonder, as Peter was telling Mark about the day that Jesus walked on the water, did Mark speak up and say, oh yeah, I heard about this. Matthew was telling me about this. And isn't that when you walked on the water and almost drowned? And Peter replied, yes, but if you could just leave that out of your account, all right? They don't need to know. But Matthew didn't. And he includes something that neither Mark nor John include in their writings. 
And I think it's worth our time today to look at this in the Gospel of Matthew. So hold your finger there in Mark 6 and go back one book to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, let's just pick it up in verse 25, the same account here that we're reading in Mark. But in verse 25, we read, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Here we see that Christ is so gracious. He is so compassionate. He could have said, no, Peter, (laughs) no way. It is not for you to walk on the water. This miracle is reserved for me and for me alone. This was done so that you might see my power and my glory. So just sit down and row, please. But that's not what he said. Look at what he says to Peter in verse 29. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I love that. So good. And Matthew tells us about Peter doing something that no other disciple had the privilege of doing, walking on water. But Matthew also tells us that Peter did something that no other person in history has ever done. Peter saw the wind. I love that description. Verse 30, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And we all know what happened here. Peter took his eyes off of Christ. He saw the wind. He observed the huge waves. He got scared and he lost faith that he could do the thing that Jesus was now empowering him to do. And he began to sink. Verse 31, Matthew borrows Mark's favorite word immediately here and says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus is again compassionate. He loved his disciples. He loved Peter. He doesn't let him struggle. He doesn't allow him to swallow a bunch of seawater. He comforted him by pulling him out of the water, giving him the very thing that he needed. But then he confronts him for his fear and for his lack of faith. Friends, you and I, we get in trouble when we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. Amen? when we get away from his word, when we neglect his commands, when we fail to remember his promises. The writer of Hebrews gives us godly instruction on keeping our eyes on Christ. Again, familiar verses, but Hebrews 12, one and two. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we see that Jesus 
commanded the crowds to go away. He called on the Lord in prayer. He came to his disciples in a time of great need. He comforted those that he loved. Fifthly, he calmed the very wind that he created. Go back to Mark 6, if you would. Mark 6, verse 51. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. Jesus calmed the very wind that he himself had spoken into existence. He calmed the wind that he had called up for this specific purpose to display his power to the disciples, to show his glory to the disciples, to teach his disciples to trust him. Jesus had calmed the wind and the waves before, again, causing the disciples to be more terrified of him than the storm that was about to take their lives, causing them to say aloud in Mark 4, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, look at what happens next. The sixth thing we see that Jesus does to display his power and glory, he caused his followers to worship him. He caused his followers to worship him. Again, in verse 51, the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. In Matthew's gospel, we don't need to go back there, but in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, it says, and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. And when I say that he caused them to worship him, please don't misunderstand me. They did not become robots that he had programmed, saying in unison without emotion, you are certainly God's son. That's not what's going on here. They were utterly astonished, absolutely amazed. They were baffled and dumbfounded. And I use the word caused here to point out this observation. What else could they do? They were in the midst of a great storm. They had seen Jesus walk on the top of the sea. Have you ever tried to do that? Jesus had been, they had been calm from great fear and trepidation. They had seen one of their own walk on the water toward Jesus. Peter, this simple fisherman. They had seen Jesus rescue Peter without the aid of a flotation device. And now they have seen Jesus calm this contrary wind and these violent waves when just minutes before they were out of control. What else could they do but be astonished? What else could they do but worship the Savior and cry out, you are certainly the Son of God. There is no other explanation, we believe. Beloved, this is the Christ that you and I worship. This is the Christ who has miraculously saved us from our sins and granted us eternal life and transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. What else can we do but worship Him? Why then do we concern ourselves with other things? Why do we put our trust in the things of the world that do not last? Why do we place anything above our love for the Savior who commanded us to follow Him, who called us out of our sin, who came to us when we were not seeking after Him, who comforted us and continues to comfort us from our fears and our anxieties, 
and who calms the storms in our lives. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our praise. Well, there's a seventh and final thing that Jesus did to display his power and his glory. He cured those who were sick. He cured those who were sick. And that's found here in verses 53 to 56. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured. The disciples, after this little trip on the sea, may have been hard to recognize. They were like wet dogs, battered from the wind and the waves. But Jesus needed only to wipe the bottoms of his feet. Think about that. After spending just a little bit of time away and alone, time in prayer with the Father, he is now once again surrounded by the crowds. But we see no complaining from Jesus. Instead, he shows compassion. And then we see that the crowds were imploring him. They were urging him. They were exhorting him. Just let us touch the fringe of your cloak. That's all we ask. But we are asking. In fact, we are imploring. And we read here, Mark tells us, as many as touched it were being cured. One more way that Jesus here displays his power and his glory. Well, none of us were there that day that he walked on the water and calmed the storm. But we have an account of this event here in his holy, inerrant, and authoritative word. I have heard some people say over the last few years, including some close to me, no one from here, but friends of mine, that they don't take parts of the Bible as literal history. Well, friends, let me let you in on a secret. This is literal And this is history. This is a true account that comes from the one and only true God. This is an account of the one who is the truth himself. This comes from a God who cannot lie. I'm glad that's one thing God cannot do. Amen? The question for all of us is this. What will we do with the manifestations of the power and the glory of God? Because we have all seen his power We have all become a witness to his glory as we read these accounts in his word and as we see how he has worked in our lives. Well, may it cause each of us to worship him, to love him, to adore him, to lay down our lives before him, knowing that this is for our good and this is for the glory of Almighty God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for an account like this that we find in the gospel of Mark and in the gospel of Matthew, that we can read about this true event that really took place during the life of Jesus Christ with his disciples on the sea. Lord, it's a a passage we know, that we know well, that we've heard well, we've taught it. 
But Lord, may we never cease to be amazed by your power and by your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the power that you have to calm the wind and the waves. And for us, Lord, that didn't have the privilege of living while you were on the earth, Lord, we thank you for the power that you have to forgive us of our sin, to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. That, Lord, we could go from death to life. Lord, we have heard your word and we have believed and we learn in John 5, 24 that we have crossed over from death unto life, never to return. For that, we are grateful, we are thankful. And Lord, may we show that gratitude, that thanksgiving by living lives for you, that we would live for your glory, for your honor. And we give you all the praise for what you will do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.